Acts chapter 3. We're going to cover just a few verses in, in Acts chapter 3. and read 1 through 7 real quick this morning. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It says this, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter, said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Verse 7 says, And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. This is a a great uh, passage here. It's really tied into the end of chapter 2 when it says that many miracles were being done by the apostles. This is one of the miracles. So what I, the, the writer Luke is doing here is he just says all these things were happening and he says, I'm going to tell you a story about one incident of the miracles that were happening that I, in, in chapter 2 that we just read. And so he goes on to talk about Peter and John just going up as they normally did. Remember last week we talked that they would regularly go to the temple for prayer. This is something that the Jews would do regularly. One of the times of prayer was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the ninth hour. And so they would gather together to pray. Now we've got the, we've got the disciples, Peter and John, and you know it's not long since Jesus has ascended. They're still figuring things out. The church is just growing, and here they go as part of their day. And I want to point out a couple things in this little section today, um, even in a, in a prelude of getting into to the the message here. But uh, you know, one of the things that that we got to think of is that as they're going up there, what were Peter and and John doing these days? You know, the Bible doesn't actually tell us a whole lot about it. We, we know that at one point when Jesus called Peter to him, it says that they, they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. And I, I don't know about you, but I've always been led to believe that, that he gave up the fishing industry. But I don't know if that was completely true. We don't know if he abandoned it completely or, or, or if, if he kept it. Did he sell his boats? In fact, we know that Peter and his companions had a couple of boats, and they weren't little tiny boats. In fact, recently they found in the, in the Sea of Galilee an old fishing boat um, at buried at the bottom that they reconstructed, and it would have been about the size, they, they figured it was the boat that, that Peter was talking about. And it's a good-sized boat, enough for a number of people on it, and a large catch of fish. So it's not just a little, just a little tiny rowboat, but a decent-sized, you know, 16 to 20-foot, they said, probably boat. Now, wood, the wood to make a boat is, was scarce in Jerusalem and in Israel at this time. So actually, the fact that Peter had a boat made of the type of wood needed in the size actually meant that Peter probably had a little bit of money. And we know that he wasn't just fishing for the family. Sometimes we think of fishing as, as you know, just going down to the shoreline and casting in your little thing. These guys were commercial fishermen. They would bring in a load. They would sell their fish, and that's how they made a living. We know that Peter and his companions had a couple of boats together, so they had a, a business operation going on. And, and so Peter did. He, he, he left that, and he followed Jesus. But after Jesus died... Remember back in, in, uh, in fact, we find this even in, in just in John at the end. Um, I think it's like chapter 20. Eh, I, won't look, I won't find it. Um, 
but but uh, he's talking with his, you know, Peter and everyone's talking around. They're all de- depressed. Jesus died, and, and, and they're sitting by the Sea of Galilee. And what does Peter say? I'm going fishing. Well, he didn't pick up his pole and go fishing. He actually, they had, they had the boat. And so they, they didn't sell the boats. So were other people running the business? We're, we're not exactly sure. And so they went back to doing what they knew, and the other disciples said, sounds good to me, and they all go fishing, and then you know, Jesus appears to them on the shoreline. And so, you know, does Peter have an occupation at this time? Does John have an occupation? Are they full-time in ministry yet? The church is just fledgling. They're probably still needing to make uh, a living somehow, and so they're probably doing these things. Why is that important? Because I want us to know today that we are his disciples just like Peter and John. Peter and John had come to faith. They knew who their Savior was. They were following him, they were preaching, they were doing miracles, but they had a life. You know, Peter is the only disciple we know for sure was married. He had a mother-in-law, which means he was busy about the things in his own life too. He had a wife, he had a mother-in-law, he had a, a very likely had some, kept his business going, and so he still had a business, and yet he found himself daily at the temple for prayers and being busy about the Lord's work. We need to be encouraged to not ever set the disciples, the apostles up as people that we just, you go, oh, wow, look at them, but we're not like them. We're just people who come and sit at church on a Sunday. But God is calling us all to be his disciples and to be his witnesses. And, and one of the things that we see right here at the beginning of this is that they went up at the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. They made God part of their life. In fact, they had to choose to go to the temple at 3 o'clock. It wasn't required. In, in fact, most people went to their local synagogues. Unless you were real close to Jerusalem, you would go into Jerusalem. But they had to determine in their hearts that they would go for the hour of prayer. And that's one of the things that we need to do as, as individuals is make a determination that we will make God part of our daily life. And it's a, it's a decision that we have to make all the time. Going on, it says, there was a certain man lame from his mother's womb. So they want to set this up, that this man, uh, was, it didn't just happen. Everyone knew him. It says he was made, uh, lame from his mother's womb. He was carried there daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. This man would have been there for a long time. In fact, later, it says that he was an older man, and that's one of the things that gave the, the testimony even more strength, that he wasn't young. So daily, he was brought to the gate. Everyone knew this man. This is a bona fide miracle that ha- takes place right here of a man who everyone passed by regularly. They would carry him to the gate, which means he couldn't walk, he couldn't, uh, he couldn't work. And it says that he, uh, he carried to the gate and he would ask alms from those who entered the temple. Well, that's kind of what we do. When we need money, we can't work. We, we, we need money is what makes the world go round, and so he's doing the only thing he can. There is no social security. There is no disability in Jerusalem. Rome's not writing any big checks for anyone who's disabled. In fact, we're so used to that. In our, you know, it's like as soon as someone gets hurt, we go, hey, we'll just file for disability. This is, what we, this is kind of what we're getting used to, and we better not count on it for very long because who knows how long we're going to have that system with us. But we'll move on to get out of that. They did not have any system set up. So the only thing this guy could do was to ask alms. Who's got the NIV? Anyone have an NIV out there? You, your version says money. 
says money. It's a bad, I think it's a bad uh, rendition of the word. King James uses alms. We don't even know what an alm is anymore. I mean, is that when you go, alm? <laughs> you know, what, what is an alm? It's really important to understand, even when you go back and read it in the Greek, the word is closer to the English translation of alm and not money. Um, what an alm would, would be is it comes from a word, and, and it's a great Greek word. Aren't they all great? Elae musunin. Yeah, say that again. Elae musunin. What does that mean? It actually doesn't, it doesn't mean money. It comes from another Greek word, eleos, which means mercy. And so the, the elae musunin word really means um, compassionateness. That would be a great translation of the word that they use for alms. And actually an alm is also asking for compassion. So when he was carried up to the gate, yeah, he wanted money, but he was, he, there was an understanding what they were seeking was compassionateness. Compassionateness. I don't know if that's a word, but I like it. Will you have compassion? Will you have compassion? And that's what he was. And so read this again. It says, he was, he was there to ask alms from those who entered the temple. He sees Peter and John about to go in to the temple, and he asks for compassionateness, just like the guy at the freeway off-ramp. And he looks at you. You know, that, that's a hor- isn't that a horrible place? They, they write by the stop sign, and you sit there, and you go, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. I, I'm, I know none of you ever do that. Never. We, we, isn't that true, though? We, we sit there. And we don't want to look. Because if we look, you know, a couple things are going to happen. One, he's going to come over to the car. Look at me actually going to come to the car. It was like when I used to go to Mexico and, they, they, you know, they'd sell chicle. Chicle, chicle, and you can't look at them. So you're sitting, and, and if you know if you give a look, they're going to come. But the other part is you don't want to look because you don't want to feel compassion and be moved to give. And so he looks at them with that look. I need something. And, you know, the, the bad comparison that, that, uh, that we know that a lot of these people, at, the, at least some of these people at the freeway off-ramp, they probably can work, and they're not. They're not necessarily crippled. I was in New York years ago doing an outreach, and we walked by this, this woman, and, and it was pr- pretty sad, and she was asking alms. You know, she was asking for money, and her legs were just folded up in this horribly deformed, crippled-looking way. And I went, oh, my goodness, that just looks so painful. And you could tell she couldn't walk. And so, you know, we, we gave, you know, as we walked by, I did give her a little money. And, and uh, at the end of the day, we were still at the park, and I happened to look down. She was not, she was just down on a side street, just uh, maybe 100 feet from the, from the corner. And about 5 o'clock, she jumped up. And she took her money with her, and I went, oh, my goodness, she was like into yoga or something. She purposely sat in a way that made her legs look all twisted. And she sat there all day until it was going home time. This man was crippled from birth. They knew it was true. And he's asking for compassion. He's asking for money. And Peter and John do something that we don't do. Fixing his eyes on him. Peter and John, they looked right at the man and they said this, look at us. Now, again, I've, I've done a lot of uh, work out on the streets 
you work with a, you know, a, a lot of people, addicts and different, different types of people. And it, it is kind of interesting when, when you're working with an addict or someone and you, and you kind of look at them. I'm thinking of Mitch. Mitch is just, he's, he's got his license and certificate to work with, with addicts, and I'm really excited about the ministry he wants to do. And, and you, but is it true, Mitch, that, you know, it's like if you start looking back at them, they want to start turning their eyes away, right? And so Peter looks at him and he says, look at us. There's something that, you know, it's not in the Bible, but there's something about the eyes, you know, the, the eyes of the window of the soul. And so he says, look at us. And he says the famous line, silver and gold have we none. But what we do have, we give you. And I want to read that. It's, for, it's, it's verse 6. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You know, silver and gold, it's, it's, it's you know, the, the translation really means like silver coins, gold coins. It was the, the name of the money in the Greek that they wrote. We don't have these coins, but what I have, I'm going to give you. There's a lot, of, a lot going on in that. We're going to hit, hit on that in just a minute as we go into this, this main part of the, the message. So this man is looking for mercy. He's looking for compassion and mercy. I was thinking when Jesus was walking in Luke chapter 18, there was blind Bartimaeus sitting by the side of the road and he was screaming out something, if you remember. Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And he simply said, I want to see. Compassion and mercy. What does the Lord's mercy look like? For some, it's a healing. For some, we know that his mercy is forgiveness of our sins. What is, what is mercy? Mercy is, is a hard thing to get. And in the English, I think it's, it's very uh, mixed up of, of mercy and grace. What's the difference? But the Bible teaches two different things for mercy and grace. Mercy isn't the same thing as grace. Paul reminds us that uh, in Ephesians, he says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ because of his mercy. Some people would say this, and this is probably a great biblical understanding and definition of it. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. See, we, we by our sins, by our lifestyle, deserve hell, deserve punishment, deserve judgment. But his mercy says, I'm not going to judge you. In Christ, we have mercy. We don't receive what we deserve. Grace, the word grace in the New Testament is synonymous with gift. It's something free. It's lavished upon. You don't deserve grace. There's nothing you can do to get grace. There's nothing you can do to get a gift. When it's your birthday and somebody gives you a birthday gift, you don't say, well, I'm, I'm glad you finally realized it was my birthday. I deserve this because it's a gift. Well, some of you do, but it's a... <laughs> It's a gift. It's grace. 
Grace is given by God as unmerited favor. So if we can remember that, that mercy is not getting what we deserve to get, and some of you know exactly how much mercy you've received. There's been instances in your life that because of the mercy of God, you did not have to even pay on this earth for something you did. And it's the mercy of God. But in addition to his showing mercy, he then gives us grace and lavishes things on us and blesses us. So he takes punishment away, but then he also blesses us. And so that's compassion is, is the same thing it's, it's of, of mercy. The, the words there in the Greek, are, it could be used both with mercy and with compassion. So this beggar is saying, have mercy, have compassion on me, please. And Peter and John do exactly that. See, some people think that what they need is money. Did this guy want money? That's what he wanted. He, that's what he thought he needed. He, in fact, he didn't even know that there was anything else that could help him. And so, hey, money will do. Money will do. And Peter and, Peter and John says, no, there's something you need more than that. Something you need that you don't know that you can have, and that's healing in the name of Jesus. What do you need today? Well, some of you think, I, I could use some money. Well, that, that might be true, but Jesus knows what you really need. And he wants to give us that mercy, that compassion, and then he also wants to give us grace. But he also wants us to be like Peter and John, to be those who would carry his, his name, his giftings. Remember, he says, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. John Wesley said this, and I think this is a great call to all of us this morning. He said, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. That's a tall order. But that's what the calling of God for us is to be those who would give all that we can to everyone that we can in all the places that we can, not just on Sunday, not just after work, not just, not just, but all the time. He wants us to, to be doing good and to be following him, to be people who would carry the gospel and carry the name of Jesus. Silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I give to you. Church, what we need to be is people who understand what we have and be willing and ready to give it all the time. All the time to anyone, everywhere we go. What I do have. The problem is a lot of us don't know what we have. A lot of us don't think we have anything. We just, you know, well, yeah, if you really knew me, Pastor, you'd know that I don't have anything. You know, I mean, it's all I can do to get here on a Sunday morning and the rest of my week is just full of hell. No, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm going to encourage us this morning and tell us what we have, what we are. See, the Bible says that if you've come to Christ and have accepted Him as your Savior, the old things, they're passed away. You're a new creation. So we need to first begin to stand in the fact that we are new creations. We're not part of this world system, even though we live here and we feel like it's always on us. We need to begin to claim and know that we are part of another system. I'm going to give you a a number of of things uh, going down the list that, that we are, that we have inside of us. 
Maybe later on you can put these together and make a crossword puzzle out of it to remind you of what these things are. But here's what we are. We are, number one, we are light shiners. You're a light shiner. And, and as a pastor, as a preacher, as, as I'm communicating the word, so often I think... I remember all the years that I would sit and listen to messages when I wasn't in a good place. I'd say, well, that's you. Oh, that's them. That's her. No, that is you. I need you this morning, if you've called on Jesus to be your Savior, Savior, to know that you are a light shiner. The Bible says that you are the light of the world. And he says to let your light shine. Don't hide it under a, under a bushel. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> you know, we used to sing it. You're a light shiner. The, bo- the Bible says that your whole body is full of light. In Ephesians 5.8, this, this verse is so important. This is such an awesome verse. It says in Ephesians 5.8, if you're taking notes, it says this. You were once darkness now you are light. It doesn't say that you were in darkness, now you're in the light. It says you were darkness, which is really bad news. In fact, if you haven't called on the name of Jesus as your Savior today, you're not just in darkness, you are darkness. You were, church, you were dark. But in Christ, you're not just in the light. You are light and jesus wants you and me to be a light shiner wherever we go he wants us to be and we are let me let me rephrase that we are truth speakers by faith we're a truth speaker the bible says in christ you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation salvation gospel whenever you hear the word gospel remember it's, it, it means good news Good news. The good news of salvation, you heard the word of truth, which is the good news of salvation. We've all heard that good news of salvation. The Bible calls us that we should speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. It doesn't say to speak whatever's on your mind all the time. That's not what truth is. So I'm going to correct some of you in case you think you're just supposed to share. Well, you know, I'm just thinking and it's true, so I'm going to share it. No. No, there's a lot of things come on your mind. Leave it in your mind. But we need to speak the truth in love, the truth of the gospel of our salvation. Ephesians chapter 5. We have the belt of truth. We have the belt of truth buckled around our waist. And 1 Timothy 2.4 says this, God wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Church, we need to be truth speakers. We are light shiners. We are truth speakers. Wherever we go, proclaiming the truth of the gospel. The world wants us to shut up. I mean, really. I don't, I, we don't say that word in our house. In fact, I, I remember our kids, they'd come home when they were young and come over and they'd say, in fact, I, it, was the, it was the pastor's kids from up in Oakdale and they came and they said, the Jensen kids said the S word. We were mortified that they, they said the S word. And so we dug a little bit deeper and we found out that they said, shut up. The S word. The world wants you to shut up. And it feels like that's what they're saying. They're not saying, shh, you know, be quiet. They're saying, shut up. And when somebody tells you to shut up, you go, oh. No, we are supposed to be truth speakers. 
We're direction pointers. We know the way. We know the way. Jesus himself, he said, you know the way. And they said, we don't know the way. And Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In Acts 9 and throughout the book of Acts, as as we're going through the book, as you're reading ahead, you're going to find a number of times where it says they were part of the way. The W is going to be capitalized often in the book of Acts. Whenever he says the disciples, even before they were called Christians, they were said they were part of the way. That was one of the terms for Christians before they were called Christians. Believers, they began to go, what are we going to call this sect? We're going to call them the way. Well, that is a wonderful declaration. You are part of the way, which means you know the direction. You're the way. You need to be a direction pointer. I know the way. Let's go. Who's ever been with, a, with people who were lost and you knew the way? You know, at some point you kind of go, hey, guys, I know how to get us there. You know, turn left. Church, you know the way. We need to be direction pointers. We need to be truth speakers and light shiners. You know, we're, we're, we're something else. We're hope showers. Do you, do you love these words? We're hope showers. We show hope to people. We give hope where there is no hope. If, you're, if you've got a Bible and you want to go there, go to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 22. Romans chapter 8, verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We have hope. We were saved in hope that this world is not all there is to it. Thank God for that. We have a hope of a resurrection. We have a hope for life in Jesus. We are hope showers to the world. The world needs hope. At 3 o'clock today, I'm going out to Baldwin Lake to do a memorial service, to be part of a memorial service for Craig Coey, the young man who fell off the dam. I got called. I know his his uh, his uh, it wasn't his birth family. It's kind of his adopted family, and they've asked me to come and pray. I'm gonna be a hope shower today. You see, there's there's a hope for us in Jesus, not just in feeling good, not just in in platitudes. Well, the, it'll get better, and the pain will go away. But true hope is found only in Jesus. We need to be hope showers, truth speakers, direction pointers, light shiners, and salvation preachers. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. We need to be gospel preachers, not just happy, happy, hopey, hopey, good feelings, good feelings, love, love. Hey, isn't everything great? We need to preach the gospel of truth, which is Jesus Christ died for your sins and he died for mine. And outside of that, there is no hope. But inside of that, it's hope for this life and the life to come. But without Jesus, you will not see the kingdom of God. 
Apart from him, we're lost. We're not going to make it. We have these things, and it should be the best news anyone has ever heard. And it is. And yet some still reject it. So I don't care how many times it's rejected. We need to continue to be light shiners, truth speakers, direction pointers, hope showers, and salvation preachers. 1 Corinthians 15.2 says, By this gospel you are saved. And 2 Timothy tells us that we are heralds, proclaimers of this gospel. That's why Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Remember, at the end of his life, he says, Go into the world and preach the gospel. Preach the good news. Proclaim it. Tell it. There is salvation found in no one else but Jesus. We're also comfort bringers. God comforts us so we can comfort others, the Bible says. And last of my little list here says that we're treasure carriers. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says we have this treasure in jars of clay. We need to be light shiners and direction pointers and truth bringers and gospel preachers bring comfort and a treasure church that's what you have so you have jesus christ the son of the living god the holy spirit living inside of you you're more than conquerors our lives have been changed and we need to take this wherever we go and we need to take peter's example he says i don't have silver and gold but in the name of Jesus. What if we could, could be so close to God that we knew what he wanted to do and proclaim that same thing? See, we don't always know when God wants to, to heal and do a miracle, but Peter was willing to step out and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. We need to be close to the Lord, hearing his voice. I'm going to give us a couple of things that, that we need to do in order to um, to to. Give people what we have. The title of this message, just a simple title, is What Do You Have? What do you have? And again, I said, most of us think, I don't have much. I don't have anything. But I hope that you're beginning to understand that you do have more than you know. And Peter says, what I have I give to you. So how do you do that? How do you give? How do you give to others? What are some of these things that you need to be? Well, let's follow Peter's example. What happened in in chapter 2 in Acts? Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, Peter was the wishy-washy guy. Peter was, you know, just always doing something crazy and denying Christ, but he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to be bold and preach the gospel fearlessly. Church, we need to be people who would be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not about learning. It's about spending time with Jesus, spending time in his presence. In fact, after this healing, Peter preaches another simple message like I talked about in in chapter 2. In chapter 3, he he preaches another simple message to the people and he preaches that message to uh, to the Sadducees and the chief priests. And it says that the captain of the guard and the Sadducees take note that they were ordinary, unschooled men. But they took note that they had been with Jesus. It's not about an education. It's about spending time with Jesus that makes you different and special, full of the Holy Spirit, preaching the word of truth. Acts chapter 4, verse 8 says, he's filled with the Spirit. Peter says, being filled with the Spirit, he preaches this message. We cannot be light carriers and direction pointers and, and gospel preachers without the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
We need to spend time with Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen the deacon, you know what it says about him? Acts chapter 6, he says he was full of the Spirit. What was his job? Pass out bread. He was in the feeding ministry. In order to be in the feeding ministry, you had to be full of the Holy Spirit. How do you expect to go through life without the Holy Spirit? Full. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, it commands us, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so I said, well, what, is, what does that word mean, be filled with the Holy Spirit? So I, I looked it up, and I looked at the, the, the verb tenses in that also because it's a verb command. It's an imperative, which means it's a command to be filled. It's in passive. Are any English teachers? You got anyone who remembers their English from school at all? Okay, this is what I go right over your head. It's passive voice, but I love this because in the Greek, this passive has a form that it's passive in form, but active active in meaning. So your be filled is like, yes, you're being filled all the time, but it's also active. So you're filled and just kind of it's happening and you're filled, but it's also active. And the word filled here, be filled, means it means complete, full, be replete. And I love this one. It means to cram cram we need to be crammed full of the holy spirit you know just get that holy spirit inside of you none of this oh i'm gonna pray for five minutes and be done we need to press in until we're crammed with the holy spirit because when when you're walking up to somebody and about to say in the name of jesus walk you better not have a little bit of the holy spirit you better have a lot of the holy spirit (laughs) and be crammed full of the holy spirit The Bible says, don't be drunk. You know, lots of people get drunk. Nobody look around the room. (laughs) Lots of people get drunk. It's a normal thing. Too normal. Don't be drunk, but you instead be filled with the Spirit. See, drunkenness is intoxication. It changes you. It changes your personality. It, It dulls your senses. But being full of the Spirit heightens you to hear from God in a way that you can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, in in, in chapter 4, it says they took note that they had been with Jesus. Don't you want people to say that about you? Man, you know, you're, you're nothing special, but I can tell you've been with Jesus. I can tell you've spent time with Jesus. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, one. In order to, in order to do all of these things, this list of, list of things, I'm going to read it one more time real quick. In order to be light shiners and truth speakers and direction pointers and hope showers and salvation preachers and comfort bringers and treasure carriers, first we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In order to be able to give what we have, filled with the Holy Spirit, two, we need to make God and the things of God part of your regular day. See, this was part of... Peter and John's regular day. It's time to go pray. I'm not going to have a day without, without prayer. I'm not going to have a day that the things of God aren't pervading my mind. I'm going to make it a daily habit. It needs to be part of our regular thinking. And you know what? It doesn't just happen. You've got to make it happen. Now, after a while of making it happen, you'll find that you get up and do begin to seek God and pray and read the Bible without any, hardly any thought. But in order for that habit to start... You've got to make it happen in your life. I was thinking about this, 3 o'clock, the ninth hour. You know, there's a lot of hours left. And in our culture, I tell you, man, we, 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 we want those daylight hours. We want them so bad we make up daylight savings. 
so we can work more. And when we're done working, we want to go and either play or we want to go rest or we want to... Three o'clock, the day's maybe not even over, and they say, you know, we're going to stop right now. You know, Josh, I was thinking about construction. Three o'clock. How about stopping at three o'clock to go pray? You're like, no way. Not at three. I got to work a couple more hours. Three would be a horrible time to quit working. You're like, I can get a little bit more done today. Right part of the regular day, they says, this is what we do. We pray. Make God and the things of God part of your regular day. The next one, be obedient. As we're making God part of our regular day, as we're spending time with him, we're full of the Holy Spirit, we're going to begin to hear from God, and he's going to tell you to do some things. And someone's going to be crazy. He might actually tell you to go tell your neighbor hi. (laughs) Bake them a pie. Craziness, isn't it? You know, sometimes the things that God wants aren't real big. They might just be a small act. But you need to learn to be obedient to those things even though you feel uncomfortable. We've got to be a church that will be obedient to his call because he's speaking to us. He speaks through the word and he'll begin to speak to our hearts and to our minds. As we're filled with the Holy Spirit and making him part of our regular day, we have to become obedient. Be courageous. This isn't for the faint of heart. We're going to have to be courageous. And we are, church, we are really living in different times because being a Christian isn't as popular as it used to be. It's really not as fashionable. In fact, we're, we're becoming the, the hated group in this country. It's, it's so interesting that we're accused, we're being hated and intolerated. And their accusation against us is that we're hateful and intolerant. So you're going to have to be courageous because you're going to open your mouth and bring truth, speak life, bring comfort in the name of Jesus, and you may get persecuted for it. So you have to be courageous. You have to be bold, be confident. Remember what Peter and John did? Look at us. Look at us. That takes boldness. You know, even, even when you give money to somebody, you know, sometimes it, it, it kind of looks like this. Here you go. You don't even want to look at them, right? You just kind of, here, right? Take and go away. Be bold. Be courageous. Look at me. I remember this, this one really interesting conversation I was having. I was in West Hollywood. Let that sink in for a minute. In case you know where West Hollywood is and what it was full of. I was at the Gay Pride Parade. And this is about, I think it was before we were married. So it was probably in the early 90s. And we were sharing our faith there all day. Talk about, you know, being, you know, feeling out of place as a Christian at the Gay Pride Parade. You feel about as comfortable as a milk bucket under a bowl. But we were out there, we were sharing love. We had placards and banners. Not like the accusations. Our banners and placards said, Jesus loves homosexuals. We were out there in love and peace, and we were out there all day and had some really, I, I just got to get to this story because there's a ton of fun stories. So it's, it's, it's in the evening, and I'm sitting down talking to, uh, I, I'm in my early 20s. He's probably maybe 40. His name was Michael. And he'd had a few drinks, but he wasn't drunk. I didn't waste my time talking to, to drunks. They don't remember anything. We were talking. I was sharing the Lord with him for a long time. Finally, he looks at me. After about 10 or 15 minutes of me just sharing Jesus with him, he says, what's going on here? And I'm thinking, that's a stupid question. And, I, and I, it was really probably the Lord, because I don't think I would have thought of this on my own. He prompted me to understand what he was asking. 
and forgive me for my, it's not vulgar, but I just looked at him very right in his eyes. And I says, Michael, I'm not going home and having sex with you. I'm telling you about Jesus. So shut up and listen. See, he thought this was the kind of the getting to know each other part before the big deal. And a boldness that doesn't always there in me rose up inside of me to just be bold and say, no, but not to be offended. Oh, I can't believe. I said, shut up and listen. And you know what he did? And we talked and I shared with him, prayed for him. He didn't, I wish I could say, and he fell on his knees and accepted the Lord. And, but he heard the gospel preached. And sometimes you just have to be bold in crazy situations. If you're on the, if you're on the forerunner, um, uh, well, if you're on Facebook, um, Forerunner Ministries, Mark and Janelle Johnson, they've been putting some great stories from the past um, on, their, on their Facebook page. And there's a couple of fun ones. that I, I got to be in two of them, um, both, both accounts where somebody wanted to kill me. And so um, go, go read about them. It's, it's exciting but, uh, you know, because it should encourage you to just be bold. Be bold and follow God wherever he leads you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Make God and the things of God part of your regular day. Be obedient, bold, and confident and courageous. That's what we need to do. Remember, he says, what we have, we give you. They knew what they had. Church, we need to get to the place where we know what we have and stop cowering. Stop doubting ourselves, knowing that we are light shiners. We have the truth inside of us, that we bring compassion and hope and that we preach the truth of the gospel. Remember, they spent time with Jesus. They were full of the Holy Spirit. The disciples and us, we need to make God be part of everyday lives. And then, really in a sense last, allow God to be part of your day. See, the first part is you make him part of your day. I'm going to choose to spend time in prayer. I'm going to choose to spend time in the word. I'm going to choose to go to life group. I'm going to choose to, to, to go to church. I'm going to choose to fellowship with believers. I'm going to choose these things. I'm going to make, I'm going to bring God into my daily thing. Maybe for you, it's, I'm going to choose to put a bumper sticker on my car and, and show, and just, I'm going to step over the line. Because for some, that's, that's a big step to let other people know that you're a Christian. Then you allow him to be part of your day. And what's the difference? Because once you've done these other things, he's going to start asking you to do things. And he's going to say, I want to interrupt your day. Will you let me? Well, what do you mean, God? I want you to go to so-and-so's house. I want you to give some money. I want you to go pray for them. I want you to go rake somebody's yard. I want, and we need to be obedient and allow him to be part of your day. Let's stand. God, it's really easy for us to think and feel that we don't have anything. We know our failures. We know our shortcomings. We know our lack of knowledge. We know, we know, we know, God. But this morning, we declare and we choose to believe what you say about us. And we're going to begin to stand upon the word of God to be your people who would shine the light. God, we would allow your light to live and shine within us and we want to shine your light to others, God. So we're going to ask, God, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit today. But again, God, cause us to be filled each and every day. 
so much that we're crammed full of the Holy Spirit. We're not quenching the Holy Spirit. We're not, we're not doing anything to grieve the Holy Spirit, God, but we are full of the Holy Spirit each and every day. God, we're going to be people who would choose to make you be part of every day, in the middle of our day. God, we're asking for boldness and courage and that you would help us to be obedient to your call. As we hear your voice, God, we want to be part of your great commission to preach the gospel and to make disciples. God, we don't want to waste any more time. God, there's a a world that's lost and dying right around us and going to hell. We want to bring the truth, the truth of the gospel. So God, help us to live in you, be filled by you, and be obedient to you, Lord. Thank you that you go with us, you go in us as we go from here. Lord, help us to encourage one another in our, in our daily walk in you. In Jesus' name, amen.